welcome to Can I Butt In, the Bowel Research UK podcast, where we welcome bowel cancer and bowel disease patients, researchers, healthcare professionals and carers to butt in and share their experiences. We're picking a topic every episode and getting to the bottom of it. I'm your host, Sam Alexandra-Rose. I'm the Patient and Public Involvement Manager at Bowel Research UK. And as a patient myself, I'm excited to bring more patient and researcher voices into the spotlight. everyone today i'm joined by jacqueline bat to talk about all things ibd stress and our shared interest of illness and creativity jacqueline is a doctoral researcher at king's college london with a background in health psychology her work on the roles of stress and resilience in the early stages of ulcerative colitis is funded by bowel research uk so hi jacqueline welcome to the podcast hi sam thanks for having me So do you want to kick off just by telling us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you're researching? Sure. I mean, that that question, tell me a bit about yourself, is probably the hardest question ever. I hate answering that question. So perhaps what I'll tell you is the type of person that I am. Um, I'm the type of person who loves to untangle the Christmas tree lights. Um, and I like to think that this is because I like to make things clearer um, and have something to show for my efforts as well. Um, I am the type of person who um, became a vegetarian at 16, uh, but started to eat fish again in my 20s. So I do think of myself as quite an opinionated person, um, a person driven by their values, but I can be adaptable as well, you know, and um, uh, I change change my own beliefs a little bit. And because everything comes in threes, I'm a type of person currently I found out who sketches out what they would do with derelict buildings for sale um, oh, wow. so, so we're currently house hunting at the moment and you see these listings for random pot plots of land in Scotland where I am uh, and they have these beautiful old buildings that are derelict um, and I just think oh yeah if I had a million pounds this is what I do and I like sketch it out so consider myself a bit of a daydreamer um, and a hopeless optimist as well so that's me um, I am researching at King's College London as you said and I'm looking specifically at the role stress plays within early ulcerative colitis so really that first year after diagnosis is what I'm concentrating on and also I'm keen to know whether something can be done about uh, improving that relationship between stress and um, ulcerative colitis particularly whether there's the possibility of um, building resilience um, whether that be skills related whether that be you know the resources people and otherwise around you that can help counteract that stress whether those can all be developed. Interesting and I I love how you uh sort of introduced yourself there none of that was what I expected you to say and I love that good (laughs) (laughs) so how did you come to be interested in this topic then of IBD and and stress yes so I came to research in a sort of very roundabout way and which I'm learning is actually quite more common than you would credit it um, particularly in health research people have full careers before they ever, ever get near doing research Um, And so it was really 
for very selfish reasons of having having ulcerative colitis myself and being diagnosed with that when I was 21, which, like I said, is about 100 years ago. And also coming from an interest in just people because I had done uh, my academics in psychology, really. Um, so being interested in why we do what we do. Um, and I think like anybody who uh, has a chronic condition gets diagnosed it's quite a big change and a lot of us um, immediately think well there must be some connection between the way my mind and my body and particularly in um, immune autoimmune conditions there must be some rationale as to when I feel good when I'm doing positive things things seem to go better or worse or maybe there's no rhyme or reason at all but I kind of wanted to know and I think as a patient, I kind of found that um, the NHS is brilliant at medicine, matching me up with the right medicine, trying different things, particularly with a fluctuating condition like ulcerative colitis, which is not necessarily predictable. You can be doing all the right things and you can still have a flare up and all this sort of stuff. So I found the doctors um, and nurses and all of the NHS professionals really great at um, thinking, right, we're persevering with this medication. No, that's not working. Chop change, blah, blah, blah. Um, anything to do with symptoms, they were right on it. Anything to do with the rest of the experience of having a chronic condition is a bit more of a challenge for um, a structure that really isn't geared up to do that, that doesn't give health professionals enough time to ask, you know, how are you? Like, what what's going on with you? Um, and a whole range of issues that come with being human with a chronic condition that we look to the NHS to help us with. And unfortunately, it's just not set up that way. So all of the psychological aspects, all of the quality of life aspects, that was the thing that I thought, you know what, I, I am interested in that. I have experience of that. I have a set of skills that might help with that. that this is what I'm going to do. Brilliant. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, what you said just then really resonates with me as a cancer survivor as well, like the hospital being so good at, you know, diagnosing and, and treating. And then kind of when you're you're all set on that side of things, it's like, great, off you go. And it's like, well, actually... You know, I don't know how to deal with this, uh, whether whether it's cancer, whether it's uh, ulcerative colitis. Uh, yeah. And it's it's interesting, isn't it? The the kind of overlap that there is between those two. Yes, they're, they're very different bowel diseases, but actually patient needs. Yes, patient needs are physical, but also mental as well. Absolutely. And I think actually there's a lot of commonality between all sorts of chronic illnesses you know any condition that you are diagnosed with that you are going to have for the rest of your life there's a lot of stuff comes with that isn't there that yeah. isn't about medicine that isn't about tests and hospital admissions and all that sort of um stuff and everybody needs their own answers on that or at least their own way of coping with that and unfortunately it's it's that gray area right you know it's it's the thing that you can't say oh just take this pill and everything will be better not that in chronic illness you really have that either but there's there's nothing that the there's no answers and I think sometimes that's very uncomfortable for people whose professional life is geared to finding a solution to a medical problem 
if if there isn't a solution, if you're turning around to patients and having to say, look, I don't know, um, you know, this is a question of how you as a person are going to cope with it, not necessarily what I would recommend to the to the average, whatever that is. So some of those conversations could be really uncomfortable for um, for people whose training is is to not to only deal with as much as possible what they can say with certainty. It's really interesting to think about it from kind of the, the healthcare provider's perspective as well. So what is your what does your research involve? How are you approaching this? Are you looking at like previous literature? Are you interviewing and doing sort of qualitative stuff? What What's involved? A bit of everything, in other words. Um, so my um, PhD is structured in quite, I think, a typical health PhD way. So um, it's divided into three or four phases. And the first phase is, you know, you look through all of the literature on your subject and try and summarise where we are at the moment. Um, so I did that and um, have published a paper about what... Um, what's the relationship between stress and inflammatory bowel disease has has been according to the studies that have been done to date. I'm now at the point where I've conducted some qualitative research so I did about 10 interviews with people who have ulcerative colitis and we spent that time talking about that first year um, after diagnosis including diagnosis and what were the sources of stress? You know, how how what was the relationship with stress? What helped to cope, and so on and so forth. So I'm right in the middle of analysing that, and that, that is super interesting, with a view to building on those two packages of work to come up with something that hopefully is going to help support people uh, when they are at that period of their ulcerative colitis journey right at the start to help them sort of build up resilience as a counterweight to the stress and to be able to test that out to see you know is this worthwhile doing does it have any impact do people find it useful or actually should we be looking um, somewhere completely different so once I've done my qualitative research that will inform what we develop um, in terms of trying to build up resilience and you know, every day I'm I'm learning something new. Um, I'm comparing it to my own experiences inevitably, which is a double-edged sword. And it's just absolutely fascinating, fascinating stuff. That's what I was going to ask. Actually, is it difficult to keep your experiences with colitis separate when you're talking to people and interviewing them about about their experience? I mean, I, I guess it has some benefits. To it because you can resonate with people but is that also difficult because maybe you have I don't know some biases there potentially or yeah uh, absolutely all, all of all of that in a word is true um so I think there used to be a school of thought that as a researcher you had to be kind of impartial and objective you had to sort of package up all of the things that made you you and put them to one side and basically sort of try and be as much of an automaton as you could be a sort of blank canvas when interviewing people and I think there's a recognition nowadays that that's asking the, the impossible you know it doesn't matter what um, your life experience has been you have had life experience and it has um 
coloured the way that you see things. And so now um, I, it, it feels like there's much more of a movement to say, you know what, I am all of these things and I'm going to share that with you so that you understand when when I am uh, analysing, when I am publishing a paper, summarising my research, you can see it in the context of who I am and you can weigh up whether I've been unduly influenced by what um, what I've experienced, whether I've focused too much on one thing because I also had had that experience, or the reverse, that something is novel and you've never come across it, and, and so you get quite taken with it. I think in terms of research, um, my sort of approach has been to be very upfront from the start when I'm interviewing people about the fact that you know what, I have ulcerative colitis and I was diagnosed quite a while ago now. And um, what this means, I think, in terms of this interview that we're about to have, is that I'll understand some of the common experiences of ulcerative colitis and we can talk quite openly about those. Um, but my journey obviously has been different. You know, there are so many people, they think over 600,000 people now in the UK who have um, an inflammatory bowel disease, all of those people will have had an individual experience of what it means to have inflammatory bowel disease. So it's it's trying to walk that line, I think, between just um, if you're comfortable disclosing the fact that you, this is also something that affects you. And not, not all researchers do that. Some take the approach that they want to try and stay objective. For me, I felt that um, the opportunity to, to get, to allow people to feel relaxed in the interview, to um, feel comfortable maybe disclosing more um, than they would with a person that they were not aware um, also had the same set of experiences was of much greater value than any drawbacks to me disclosing the fact I had ulcerative colitis and actually the feedback that I got was was very good it was like you know for some people this was the first time they had talked to another person with ulcerative colitis because they had nobody around them who who had that diagnosis now the flip side of it is particularly noticeable when I'm now in analysis mode because all of my prejudices, and like I said, I'm an opinionated person, I'll put my hands up to that. Um, all of my prejudices, all my conceptions about what's good and bad about ulcerative colitis potentially could affect my analysis. And so one of the ways that you try to address that is I'll talk to my supervisors about it um, so that they are taking that objective view of me and saying you know Jacqueline actually you need to be careful you're you're spending too much time on this because that's your experience or whatever but also I, I keep a sort of reflexive journal so before I start an, uh, analyzing for the day at the end of the day I'll write a diary entry to say some of the thoughts and feelings that I've had and that sort of thing. So an example of that has been, you know, I lost my dad to cancer at the end of last year. One of the interviews that I've been doing, analysing recently, that person had a terminal cancer diagnosis as well. So obviously, the, um, you know, that's going to bring up a whole lot of sort of different stuff to me. But if I can record it, if I can kind of examine it external to my own brain, rather than letting it all slosh around there and just have all of these effects that I'm not tracking, 
that's as much as I can do really to try and make it as scientific a process. That's really interesting and I'm sure that we'll talk a little bit later as well about creative writing and and, and stress as well and how, how those two kind of interact with each other. I'm interested in having these two different parts of, of your research so kind of looking at what other people have researched already and what they've already found and then also doing these interviews with people with colitis. Um, I'm wondering how do these two parts of research interact with each other? Like When you're conducting interviews with people, are you kind of bearing in mind that you've seen, oh, perhaps there was a gap in the literature that you've seen and that you want to, to kind of look at, at that a little bit more? Absolutely. I think the thing with research is that it is cumulative. And so when you look um, across a whole body of research, which is what this initial systematic review was about. Um, it gives you the opportunity to to identify gaps as well as things that are really quite well researched. Um, and from that, I think the influence that it had on the interviews was that it helped me decide what uh, how I wanted to couch questions and what areas I particularly wanted thought were relevant in the world of stress and IBD. It also made me uh, have particular choices about the way that I approached it as well in as much as when I looked through um, I, you know I had uh, 30 plus different studies that I identified and I was comparing contrasting in my literature review I found that there were as many measures of stress as there were studies. And, you know, there were seven different types of ways of defining stress. So as researchers, it was a complete, um, I don't want to say mess. I want to say uh, that it was, a it was very difficult to make them comparable because every researcher was innovating <laughs> in their corner um, and had their own ideas. And what I felt, um, although it's not directly reported in the studies, is that actually there'd been very little involvement of people with the condition to say, in the context of inflammatory bowel disease, this is what stress is. This is the collection of things that it is. This is how it appears. When, when this happens, that I know that stress. Um, so that really drove me to take almost the most detailed qualitative uh, methodology that I could because I thought, you know, the thing that was missing most of all from the literature was the people with ulcerative colitis voice about what is stress and the fundamentals of like the topic you know all the definitions of stress resilience all the key concepts had been sort of figured out in a general way put in a questionnaire and the questionnaire was given to the person so the person didn't actually get to frame any of it um, we don't know if the questionnaire covered all of the different aspects that people had so that's the great thing about qualitative research is because you're not having to have a numerical value to everything you're really digging into the sort of uh, phenomenon that you're trying to uh, appreciate 
you can get right down to the fine detail of if I was sitting in that person's seat, what would stress appear to me to be like in that first year of diagnosis with ulcerative colitis? And, uh, you know, it's utterly fascinating, but it's not the type of thing that um, people who have very short term timeframes or um, people, you know, doctors who only have 10 minutes to speak to you about something are going to be able to do or appreciate to be able to look, look at that level of detail and say, you know, for this person, stress was this. And, you know, for another person, it was something completely different. But actually, for this collection of people, all of them said this was a characteristic of the stress that they have. And that's the really um, valuable um, outputs is, is when you can have that sort of level of detail, you can start building up well, actually, I'm going to create a system of support or an intervention or an experiment that gets to the heart of something important for at least one of at least one of my participants, you know, because it's their words that I'm basing everything off. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought previously, but yeah, somebody's one person's model of, of stress could be very different to somebody else's. And if you're applying your own, yeah, just might not be relevant to somebody yeah that's so interesting just to add um we're all driven by different things when we're defining stress you know a person an individual with stress is trying to make sense of it in order to lessen it right but a researcher is maybe not um, so motivated by that but to make something that can be compared across people or to have a measure that um puts a numerical value on it that might be more of a, a priority for them but are those two things you know working towards the same end um, that's debatable and so I think we need to be very conscious of the fact that our terms our concepts the language that we use around things um, is very driven by what we want out of a conversation or um, a piece of work yeah great that's really interesting. And so what is it that you're finding so far and what is kind of the relationship with IBD and stress? And I'm going to break the fourth wall of the podcast a little bit if I can here, because obviously we've spoken to each other before. We had a great chat and you were at the Big Bowel event recently presenting as well. And I know that we've previously talked about stress having an effect on IBD and also IBD having an effect on on stress can you sort of speak a bit more about the, the relationship there? Absolutely so this was something that came um, out of the literature review so when I was looking across the studies that had already been performed um, what I found was actually there was quite a few studies that looked at the relationship between stress and the physical symptoms of inflammatory bowel disease. And there seemed to be a, a sort of quite convincing case to say, you know, that, that there is a temporal link, uh, a link in time between stress and the physical symptoms of IBD. So uh, many of the studies were interested in um, whether if you were stressed um, at month one, uh, were the physical symptoms worse in month two 
and a lot of them found that yes actually you know uh, if you had stress sometimes that led to um, physical symptoms getting worse or you having a flare and um, interestingly enough a couple of them uh, the studies actually looked at the relationship as a two-way relationship so not only did they find that if, if I'm stressed, then the physical symptoms get worse, but they also, and I think anybody with uh, IBD would tell you this is an obvious point, but it's one that now that we have evidence to support as an obvious point, if you have physical symptoms, you get stressed. So it's a sort of circular thing. And that's interesting, particularly in the context of inflammatory bowel disease, because it is a fluctuating condition. So people go through periods of um, relapse and remission where you'll have active um, symptoms of bloody diarrhea and stomach aches and urgency to go to the toilet. And then sometimes for no reason, uh, sometimes because they find the correct medication for you, it'll, it'll all peter out and you'll have um, a period where you're not necessarily without symptoms because there are symptoms like fatigue persevere, but you won't have the um, sort of acute symptoms of diarrhea and um, gut pain and things like that. So yeah, so that was, that had attracted a lot of attention from researchers. What hadn't attracted any much attention at all was whether the whether stress had an impact on the psychological um, or what we call the psychosocial factors of um, inflammatory bowel disease. So this was the things that affect your quality of life, um, the things that affect whether you feel anxious, whether you feel depressed, you know, all that sort of uh, sort of thing that we, that is part of the sort of human experience, right? but it's not to do with necessarily physical symptoms. And again, it's that dichotomy of the thing that researchers are researching are the physical symptoms, partly because the clinicians are, that's what they're having to deal with, but actually the psychological not attracting quite so much funding. So I'll just leave that as a, as a thought. Um, yeah, absolutely need more studies on inflammatory bowel disease the quality of life aspects and whether stress is a mediator uh, in that. Does stress make uh, your social network kind of collapse? Does um, having a social network actually mean that you get less stress with inflammatory bowel disease because you've got people who are lifting some of the burden off you? Um, so that's that was something, a gap that we found that we needed more research on that. The point that I'm at now when I'm analysing interviews is interesting because that's going to give us, like I said, the qualitative aspect of it, that ex what the experience is actually like. And uh, it's going to hopefully um, identify what stress is like in that context, what how people try and cope with it. Um, and I, like I said, there might be as many ways of coping as there are people with inflammatory bowel disease. And then our ambition is to take what we've learned through both of those exercises and turn it into something that would be helpful to help build resilience to stress. Um, as yet, on, obviously, we don't know what that will be because it's being entirely informed by the, um, the stuff that we're doing. Um, but 
and we're very hopeful that um, it will be something that um, people can access quite freely. It would be lovely if I had a sort of creative aspect to it potentially or something like that. But um, at the moment, it's sort of all to play for in terms of deciding what that will be. It's such a huge area, isn't it? It just, yeah, sounds like there's so many different avenues that you could go down as well with more research on this. And I can imagine that IBD like the stress isn't just with the physical symptoms but also all of the appointments that you have to go through um, like colonoscopies and, and all those kind of especially new experiences if you're kind of right at the beginning of diagnosis and might also be stressful before diagnosis you know when you don't know what's what's wrong with you you know what what the problem is and, and then kind of the general stigma and embarrassment as well that we we talk about so much about uh, at Bow Research UK you know just because people are embarrassed about these bowel conditions and talking about their poo and, and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, it sounds like there's there could be stress coming from from all sorts of different angles, unfortunately. So let's talk about you mentioned briefly the creative aspects that there could be. So is creativity and helping to, to deal with stress. I mean, is that anything that's that's come up in when you've been interviewing people? Yes, uh, people um, have mentioned, I think particularly in the context of hobbies, uh, because having a chronic illness affects all areas of your life. And we specifically ask as well about um, the impact on work, the impact on relationships, the impact on leisure time. And so people have sort of volunteered information about creativity and some people have held it up as a strategy for co for coping with the condition as well which is interesting and what I found when I did my literature review was that I couldn't find anything to do with the relationship or anybody trying anything in terms of creativity to um, alleviate stress and IBD. It was very much exercise, um, mindfulness, um, those were the sorts of interventions, uh, cognitive behavioural therapies, talking therapies, um, and those had positive impacts, you know, um, sometimes because, or sometimes in the context of a group coming together and, and learning more about the condition, more about mindfulness, doing yoga, doing walking and things like that. And sometimes one to one, you know, people trying counselling or, or various other things um, was an effective stress management device, according to the research. But really, nobody was saying, well, let's just have a creative session in the abstract and see whether that helps with stress. Um, and I think, I mean, there are probably barriers to doing that in a sort of what I would call antisocial disease like inflammatory bowel disease you know when you're when you're having a relapse when you're in flare you don't feel like socializing you know it's uh, socializing is a chore being around people is a chore because you're constantly thinking where's the nearest toilet can I get get to it um do do I smell you know, have I, because I've been sick this morning or I've had to run five times to the toilet, you get, so as you say, you get self-conscious about yourself. It has an impact on your identity as well, because that, you're kind of having to go through this transition period of 
what normal is for you. You know, can I go to the places I would normally go to? Well, you know, I need to figure out if there's a toilet there. I need to do this. I need to do that. Or no, actually, do you know what? I'm not comfortable leaving the house at the moment because um, I so urgently need to go to the toilet. So there are barriers, absolutely, to using something like creativity or creative endeavours. And I think that's also part of the appeal for some of us when we have flares and things like that is that we're not able to go to work potentially. We're not able to see the people and do our normal routine. So some creative endeavours um, are quite uh, straightforward to do as solo endeavours. And so that is actually something that kind of helps us kind of cope with it in that sense. But whether the research supports that is really a consequence of there is no research that I've been able to find. So um, it could absolutely be the case, but but we just don't know. However, I think it's fair to say that there's enough research to say that stress management um, is, it can be done positively with creativity as well. That more sort of general idea that creative efforts are absorbing and therefore helpful to manage stress generally. And there's so many different ways that you can be creative, isn't isn't there as well? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's important um, because coping has to be extremely personal um, when you're dealing with um, colitis, when you're dealing with any chronic condition, when you're dealing with stress. And I think that's a frustration in the sense that you can't, somebody can't turn around to you and say, just do this and that will sort it because there's not a one size fits all. But also it gives you a lot of freedom in how you are going to approach your colitis, your Crohn's, your chronic illness, your cancer survivorship. You can tailor it to stuff that you enjoy doing. You know, you can tailor it to your set of circumstances it, to a degree, obviously, there are certain things that are out with our control, but I think the more that you can tailor it so it works for you and the less that you think of it more as, well, I'm doing this because it helped such and such. Or, you know, my pal said, try yoga because that's the panacea for all things, as we know. Um, <laughs> uh, actually, if you enjoy yoga, great. But if if you think actually yoga is a waste of time, and I'm not going to do it. I'd rather do woodworking than go do woodworking, you know. Yeah. And I mean, just thinking about, say, creative writing, for example, as listeners may or may not know, I'm doing uh, my PhD in creative writing. So I'm writing about all of my cancer experiences through poetry, or at least that's what I thought I was going to be doing uh, about after the first year or so. I kind of realised, actually, I've been writing about cancer for 10 years and maybe this isn't something that I want to write about anymore. And then the question becomes, well, who else am I apart from a cancer survivor anyway? Um, I don't know, but I go and find out so I can write about something else. Um, So it very much became sort of an exploration of of identity as well. And yeah, I, I think that there's lots of of ways that uh being being creative and creative writing in particular can be beneficial i mean just thinking about like the subject that you write do you write about your illness and and how you feel about that and that's a cathartic thing or do you write about something completely different and actually the creative writing or the creative work is a distraction and that's helpful because it takes you somewhere else and does it all have intrinsic value because 
uh, you're just you're creating something new potentially out of a negative experience and it's just the very creation of something that that you're proud of that could potentially be be beneficial I love that you use the word expiration as well I think that's a really important component of it you know we're all on a journey with um you know <laughs> in life gosh that sounds um very cliche but so- sorry about that uh, <laughs> they, uh, we're all on a journey and I think particularly if you have a health condition or many health conditions your journey is unique to you and I think actually we don't give ourselves enough credit or um, being able to identify what's uh, what is helpful for us and what is not helpful for us. So um, being able to explore a different world or uh, the world of our illness or anything at all through something that you can get a little bit lost in, that um, you can get some enjoyment with, that completely absorbs you and takes you out of your um, current um, situation. All of those things are valid. And um, I think the other thing exploration gives you permission to do is you don't have to be good at your chosen creative endeavor it doesn't have to be pretty it doesn't have to be nice you don't have to show it to anybody you don't have to share it it can be just yours I think that's really important because I know you know my sort of creative outlet is sewing and I give myself such a hard time for like oh this was rubbish and I did that wrong and now I'm having to unpick that and the most liberating thing was going on to uh, social media and uh, following accounts. And these people who do it for a profession are like, look at this mess that I made, you know, and it didn't work out. Um, but it was an experiment. It was a learning point. And I think that's that's a really important thing is to, to be kind to yourself and to realise that you're trying to work through something that a lot of people will never, ever have to face ever in their lives. Something that you can't necessarily describe to your nearest and dearest. Sometimes, you know, I obviously you're a wordsmith and maybe this doesn't apply to you, but some of us just can't find the words for a lot of the things that we feel and the lots of experiences that we have. And so, you know, if your way of working through that is to hammer two bits of wood together, is to chop up um, charity bed sheets and make a um, beachwear coverall, which is what I did the other, you know, this summer, it's all valid. It's all helpful um, because you're gaining skills, you're doing something positive, and potentially you're doing, I think, in spite of all of this burden potentially that you have I think yeah I think that exploration that spirit of exploration and actually prioritizing it as well because sometimes it can just feel like you're rocky five at the end of a of a boxing match all the all the blows that you have to absorb in um in facing these challenges to be able to step out of the ring to be able to explore something with very low stakes it doesn't really matter whether it's good or it's bad or it's not um if it's enjoyable to you i think that's so so important for your for your mental health at the very least yeah i think that's such an important point because it's a really easy trap to fall into i, I think is 
to want everything to be good and, and I, I've I've been guilty of trying something once deciding no I can't do this I'm bad at it and never doing it again yep yep yeah done that <laughs> <laughs> I do like the idea of like following other people on social media and seeing what they're doing and seeing that actually people aren't just out here creating perfect stuff all, all the time you know we're all out here you know exploring experimenting and, and yeah everything isn't going to be Instagram worthy but hey why not show it off anyway because it's part of your your journey and what you're doing and your identity and, and, and all of that and it's it's just just fun and we just need to be kids again with it you know just playing and, and being creative. That's exactly right and I think particularly you know one of the things with inflammatory bowel disease and you know cancer treatment and all sorts of different conditions is that you have this horrible fatigue that people who have never experienced fatigue don't understand is not tiredness it's something that you just feel like somebody's letting the air out of you completely your brain your body everything is just um in in a, a very sort of poor state of um of being and even if you can't pick up that pen and write or you can't get your sewing kit out and sew or your woodworking stuff and work um one of the things that i find really helpful is i can still click on um instagram and look at the beautiful things that other people do and feel good about the fact that um that's inspirational you know i it's very low energy if you have fatigue to witness other people's creativity but i think actually majority of the time being able to see people doing creative stuff that you like helps buoy you up to a point where hopefully in the future you'll be able to do something similar uh, on certain days sometimes it's kind of like schadenfreude you're like oh god you know I wish I could do that I wish and on those days perhaps don't switch on social media but I would say the majority of the times when I feel rubbish and not able to do anything, being able to look at other people's creativity, things that people are passionate about, things that um, are just beautiful to look at or rubbish or big bloopers, you know, all of that, I think, is something that you can do when when you do feel that you can't actually do creative things yourself. Yeah, it reminds me of writing I mean you don't have to be putting the pen to paper to be writing you could be thinking about something I mean sometimes if I have like an idea for something then before I write anything down I might just kind of it might be like floating around my head for a few a few months or a few years even and it's just it's percolating you know it's 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 slowly developing and and yeah as you say you can take inspiration from from what other people are doing as well and that's kind of lower energy requirement stuff and yeah we can still be creative and, and feel a bit creative and, and get ideas even when we don't have the energy to, to put them into action. I think daydreaming is an important aspect of self-care um, and I think that it doesn't need to be um, in reference to something that you want to write or paint or or something in that way. It can just be like daydreaming about uh you know yourself in a different situation or taking yourself in you know create a whole sort of lord of the rings world for yourself and go and occupy that space for 10 minutes looking out the window i think we forget that we ha all have the capacity to do some kind of uh, self-care and no matter how 
um, you know, how poorly our body feels, you know, even if, if you are bed bounds and, and all that sort of stuff, there's still, and I don't, I'm, I'm conscious that I, there's an element to me that says, hang on, Jacqueline, it's sounding a bit sort of positive, uh, toxic positivity, you know, that, oh, you know, we can all do stuff. But actually, I think if, if, if it has value to you, daydreaming is a wonderful type of self-care um, that you can do anywhere with no with very little energy. Yeah, definitely advocate for that. Definitely advocate for not living in, in the real world for, for 10 minutes or so. <laughs> it will, always helpful. Just before we sort of wrap up, there is one other question that I wanted to ask you, and it's, it's around... Um, IBD and and colitis because we have sort of talked about both today so I was just wondering the people that you're uh, interviewing are people who have colitis right um but then also we have uh, another type of, of IBD so Crohn's disease for example do you think that there would be I don't know this probably isn't sort of in the scope of, of your research but um, I was just wondering if you think that there would be any kind of differences between um, stress in people with colitis or, and stress uh, impacting people with Crohn's disease? It's not something that I've looked into particularly because my focus is very much on colitis. But when I was doing my literature review, I included both um, Crohn's and colitis and indeterminate colitis, you know, all all inflammatory disease, inflammatory bowel disease. What um, I think is different potentially is the experiences uh, in Crohn's. There can be different experiences. I think it's fair to say that uh, with Crohn's, you um, have a greater risk of hospital admission, a greater risk of surgery uh, being required. Uh, than you do in um, inflammatory bowel disease. And this is, you know, the nature of the disease. You know, the distinction between the two is that Crohn's affects any part of the digestive tract and colitis is very much bowel-related rather than any other part. Um, and that in, in itself will affect the quality of life aspects for the two two communities differently, I think. Um, there's also much more evidence that uh, diet plays a role in Crohn's than it does in colitis. You know, my personal experience has been, apart from living off Muller Corner yogurts for about three months when I had a really bad flare, uh, diet doesn't make very much of a difference to me. And in fact, some of the best uh, gut health that I've been in was when I lived in India eating curry every day, you know. So... But for some people, spice is a big thing, you know, for setting, for triggering things. Uh, in Crohn's, I believe there is a much more bigger diet component to it. And obviously that um, requirement to change your diet um, is uh, also going to affect your stress levels, right? Because you're going to have to re-educate yourself about what you're going to make yourself to eat, where you're going to do it. Potentially, it might be more expensive if there are certain things, particular things that you need to get. Um, all sorts of little factors um, affecting your day-to-day -day life relating to diet are going to be different in Crohn's than they are in colitis. 
But in saying that, I think there's much more in common than there is different between Crohn's and colitis. You know, a lot of the initial symptoms are similar. You know, a lot of the um, stuff to do with quality of life, like your relationships, your sense of identity, your, um, your, you know, the various aspects of your leisure time and work and financial situation. Uh, are affected in very similar ways between all of the different inflammatory bowel diseases. Yeah, it's interesting thinking about those those similarities and then thinking about the differences as well just kind of made me think it all goes back to this issue of how do we measure uh, stress and, and how that is going to be different for, for everybody. Mm, yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, that it's, uh, yeah, I mean, because we all have the same human experience at one level, don't we? So arguably, certainly the way that I think about stress is um, what's coming in from either the external environment or internal environment to affect me. And do I have the resources to meet that? And so that's um, very much in line with a, someone called Lazarus' theory of stress. So it's the idea that, that stress occurs when you don't feel you have enough resources to meet the current challenge. And some people don't see stress that way. So they think of stress as being a sort of rise in physical symptoms and a decline. So stress for them might be, oh, I get butterflies. That's the only time that I know stress. Or it can be that it's a, a very long-term um, thing as well. A lot of researchers use stress and distress interchangeably. So the idea that you really need to be having a negative emotion about a challenge for it to be stressful. Um, you can't um, simply just feel overwhelmed. You need to actually feel anxious or depressed or some sort of emotional or clinical mental health condition before they, they will kind of badge that as stress. And I'm very interested to know what people with ulcerative colitis are going to consider stress to be. Um, I feel like I've got 10 different uh, stories about what stress is and actually maybe that's a good thing because that'll challenge you know the way that I think about stress as a researcher and the way that I'll um, bring this up with my colleagues to say actually should you be taking this into account uh, because people with ulcerative colitis seem to be talking about it a lot. Such a great, uh, such a, such an interesting field. This is all right up my my street, and and yeah, I'll um, I'll be interested to to see how your your research progresses and and what uh what kind of the outcomes are. If we could just wrap up with uh just one last thing, do you have any kind of one takeaway that you would like people to know about IBD and stress or uh, creativity or your experience or anything that extra that you would you would like to finish us off with yeah I think I would say there's no right or wrong way of dealing with stress there's just your way of dealing with stress and for most of us we already have a lot of skills and resources as part of our human experiences that can meet the challenge of of stress in the context of um, having a health condition and I think sometimes we forget actually how much we know about coping with things that are challenging um, or advice that we would give to others about coping 
with challenging. So I think um, for me, the thing that I am working on is actually to be my best best friend about it. What would my best friend tell me about how I'm good at dealing with this? Who I could ask for help about this? Um, do I really want to know this information? Um, and being able to bring that to bear to my experience of stress. I think, you know, if, if you talking about dream, daydreaming, if you can envisage a conversation with a you that is your best friend and um, is, is the kindest they can be to you, um, you might be able to have an envisualize what what is the most the thing that is stressing you out the most and what do I have in my toolbox that can uh, it can challenge that can lessen that stress and I think I think we all have that but sometimes we don't necessarily take the time to consider oh do you know what um, I've come across this situation before at work or um, with with my family or with my friends or in whatever context I'll I'll just give this a go and like we said it's an exploration it's not a you have to get it right first time um, you could try something and it might fall flat in its face and you're like well I'm gonna try that again <laughs> um, certainly for that aspect um, so many of us with chronic illnesses have to keep um, facing challenges and different challenges and new situations and it's exhausting like um, I, I think that's in my opinion part of the contributor to fatigue is that we're constantly having being challenged and, and that doesn't allow us to um, recuperate um, and therefore we get fatigued but you, but you have more uh, resources more skills you you are better good enough to meet these challenges for sure and um and also to ask for help because um, one thing we haven't talked about which is quite an interesting conversation um regarding resilience is actually it's not all about personal resilience you know as communities as nation states as healthcare systems as healthcare practitioners we all have a responsibility in terms of resilience to making sure that we are um, helping people respond to stress and that that responsibility sits out with that person. It's not all on their back to deal with the stress that they have. I feel like that was a bit of a ramble, but <laughs> no, that was brilliant. Oh, hopefully oh, it all links together. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And and yeah, I'll I'll try to remember when, when I'm next feeling stressed, not to not to take for granted that the fact that, you know, I, I do have these ways of coping and, and yeah, can can handle it. Jacqueline, thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. It's been really interesting. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sam. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, externalise some of this thinking <laughs> that we all do in our in our on our desks by ourselves. And um, it's been really lovely speaking to you. Thank you for listening to Can I Button. This podcast was brought to you by Bow Research UK. Find out more about the charity, our work and how you can get involved. Visit bowelresearchuk.org where you can join our People and Research Together network or part. Read about our research campaigns and fundraising or make a donation to support the vital work we do. Let's end bowel cancer and bowel disease.